What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Alex De Silva podcast. We hope you are well and having an amazing day, afternoon, evening, wherever you are in the world. And welcome to another episode. Remember to like, subscribe, and leave a comment on whatever platform you're listening. Now, let's get on with the show with your host, Alex De Silva. Okay, so we are live. Welcome, everyone. It's always good to to be here. Thank you so much for every single one of you who listen, who tunes in. Today, I have um, a wonderful guest, Lydia. She is also one of the survivors um, of Cordero Equina syndrome, and someone I'm actually really looking forward to 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 talking to today. How are you doing, Lydia? Happy New Year! Welcome to to the to the Thank show. You. And happy new year to you too. Yeah, good to good good to have you on board. We were having a little a little conversation before before we kicked off, and um, I was quite excited to to hear your journey. As you know, mine is only begun last year, September, and you know this is something that has completely changed my life and every person I've spoken to, and no doubt yours will be you know very similar. Um, this is very life changing, and. Um, it's something that you can't ever expect, you know, as, as I've, you know, sort of discovered with this. And with that, I'm really interested to, to sort of understand how did this come about with you? How long ago and, you know, and, and, and what happened? Well, we are, we are one of, um, fortunately, a fairly rare um, group of people. We are one in 100,000 um, people with back pain, back symptoms who sadly go on to develop called Requina. And I think that's one of the reasons why there is still some ignorance around um, the NHS and myself included. I am actually an advanced nurse practitioner and um, I do see and treat people with back pain. And obviously called Requina is something that um, we're always on the alert for and far more so now having been um, a victim, I suppose, or suffer of it myself. So i when I was 49, I was very fit and active, had a long history of being very active, and I was doing um, a boot camp type exercise in a park with a group of other people on New Year's Eve, um, just over seven years ago now. And um, I'd had a very slight niggle in my in one of my buttocks, just thinking I had maybe a slight tightness in a, in a glute muscle there, but nothing in particular, absolutely no back pain whatsoever um and during the exercise we were doing squats with resistance and all of a sudden I felt a sharp pain in the back of my left thigh and thought maybe I'd pulled my hamstring so I left the class tried to bend down to pick up my rucksack that was on the floor and felt that I, I couldn't pick it up because if I bent that much it my hamstring which is what I thought the problem was would snap Tried to run it off, didn't work, did a bit of stretching, didn't really help. Walked home and during my walk home, which was very painful, my foot started to flip as I walked. I didn't seem to have much control over my left foot. Um, the day went on, the pain in my leg got worse. It was a burning ache is how I'd describe it contacted my various medical friends who popped over, gave me prescriptions for all sorts of painkillers because I thought at this stage 
because the pain was increasing that the um, hamstring, which I felt that I pulled, was now going into spasm. Um, tried some massage, didn't help, and gradually the pain got worse and worse. And it was now New Year's Eve, was supposed to go out, obviously had to cancel all of that. And found myself just bent over a stool in my lounge trying to deal with the pain, having taken everything from Oromorph to Diazepam to Cocodamol. I'd taken the lot and mm. the pain in my leg was excruciating. And it probably wasn't until about three o'clock in the morning on New Year's Eve that I suddenly realised that I hadn't actually been for a wee for hours despite having been awake and drinking I'd just been focusing on trying to deal with the pain hadn't wanted to go to A&E New Year's Eve carnage thought thought that would be a nightmare um so at about three in the morning I thought I need to go and have a wee because I hadn't had a wee since I don't know about 12 hours previously probably mm-hmm. um tried to get up found that I couldn't get up I'd lost the use of my left leg at this stage um, so crawled to the bathroom and was unable to have a wee, had no sensation of needing a wee at all, um, at which point I contacted my partner and said, look, we're going to have to go to A&E because I now actually think I might have something called quadriquina. It was only at that stage when I realised that I'd lost all bladder sensation and all ability to have a wee that it occurred to me with my medical background that um, I I might have called Requina. And I think one of the reasons it didn't occur to me earlier is because throughout the whole of this process, I have had absolutely no back pain at all at at that point. It Uh was only the pain in my leg. Uh So he kind of dragged, carried me to A&E. Fortunately, although it was quite busy, I think the... Um, obvious distress that I was in with the pain and the fact that I I, I couldn't stand up, I couldn't walk, um, meant that I was seen very, very quickly. Um, I was examined very quickly. The um, on-call neurologist immediately um, felt it was called requina. I had no anal tone when they examined me. I had a completely full bladder with no sensations. I was catheterized. Um, and my local the hospital then put the spinal unit down in Bristol on alert. Um, and then we just had to wait for nine o'clock for the MRI to be open. Mm-hmm. Had an emergency MRI. That came through. Results went straight to Bristol. They were on standby. And then it was blue light down to um, Bristol and um, straight into straight into theatre. And um, a bit like yourself, um, when I woke up, I had no pain, which was great, Mm. um, which was amazing because the pain had been pretty horrific. I think by the time I got to A&E, they were unable to give me any more analgesia because at that point I'd taken so much myself, I'd got pinpoint pupils. (laughs) um, And I was still in agony and I I, I couldn't even get on the bed because it was just too uncomfortable. And I remember being in the MRI and... um, and press the button because I just couldn't lie down for the scanning. Mm. And they said, Oh, you know, you've got to stay still. We've only done your neck. And I'm saying, why the hell have you done my neck? (laughs) It's my bloody leg. That's the problem. What are you doing up there? I can't, I can't do this. I can't lie here, but Mm. somehow I managed to, and um, they got the scans they needed and went straight into surgery. Um, But I still had no use of my leg when I 
when I came came out and I still had no um, bladder or bowel function at that stage. Um, was in hospital for about five days, maybe a week. Mm-hmm. And then was discharged um, once physio had been and had made sure that with the combination of my leg in a splint and crutches, because I still had use of my right leg, which was fortunate, um, that I could sort of manage steps. And I only had four steps up to my flat at that mm-hmm. time. So I was lucky that I could navigate mm-hmm. that. And then the rehab journey started really, which um, is absolutely key and critical to um, regaining as much function as is possible. And um, that first year to two years is the window of opportunity in which to try and regenerate and re-engage damaged nerves. I believe after two years, it's increasingly difficult. So I think I think the absolute takeaway from all of this for anybody is if you're near the beginning of your journey like you are, Alex, mm-hmm. then absolutely do everything you can to max maximize your um rehab during this time. I I definitely took my rehab as a full-time job. I mm-hmm. I couldn't work current when I, you know, I was still in a lot of pain actually with my leg. Mm-hmm. Um, although the pain immediately after surgery went, I then then did have quite a lot of residual nerve damage. And unfortunately mm-hmm. for me, I went on to re-herniate what was left of my disc a further three times. Wow. So I ended up going right back to the beginning. Mm-hmm on three further occasions. Um, so I had to start the whole process again mm-hmm. and each time. And then eventually um, on the fifth occasion, they fused my spine. Mm-hmm. And that has been a game changer for me. It mm-hmm. It's taken away all the back pain that I then developed back pain afterwards, mainly to the facet joints. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can talk about that a bit later. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And this is the thing that for me, I find so interesting as I'm speaking to people um, is everybody's journey. Not one person is is the same. Yeah. And every symptom as well. And I think and, and I'd love to get your professional take on this, because even <clears throat> the diagnostic around it as well, you know, when people are going through this, um, every person is so different. You know, everybody's is affected in in a, in a very different way. Like yours, <clears throat> mine was in a, was in a space of a week. It just gradually. I mean, I, I had back pain around about June last year, and I had a car accident. But just before that, I was training with a friend like you, very fit. You know, I've always loved training, and um, I've always had back lower back issues i did martial arts for years and i've always been competitive and so that for me was something which um was quite normal i was like oh it's just back pain i've pulled a muscle you know the usual things but i've always been very careful very mindful of you know looking after myself getting the right rest seeing the right people because i know how important the back is you know and i want to make sure that for me it's all about longevity i don't need to be a superhero although sometimes i think we all think you know we're we're Mm. undestructible and um i you know discovered you know through through time i was just thinking well it's back pain i started seeing a chiropractor 
And over time, got a little bit better. And then actually, if anything, it just got worse. Um, you know, but for me, it took a week for it to, as I said, from it, I started that sciatic pain. It was just, I, I remember mentioning it to the chiropractor and saying to them, is this normal that I'm getting just very light shooting pains on either side, both sides of my glutes and just on the side of each leg, just above the ankle? I said to them, is that normal? And I've known because I've had sciatica before, so I know how to floss and I know some of the things to do. Like, yeah, it's completely normal. You know, it's just as, you know, as as we're realigning you, blah, 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 blah. You know, just enough. So I said, okay, trust the professionals. And then it was just that week before where it kicked in. It took the week, you know, for, for mm -hmm. that to happen. And, and as I said, for me, I lost sensations on, on, on both feet. Um, but a friend of mine, who's a physio who took me to, to A&E on a Monday uh, because the ambulance refused to take me on a Friday. They said to me, look, it's just sciatica. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, you, you, you'll be absolutely fine. Just take some painkillers. And although my right foot, my right foot had dropped by that point and my groin had started to go numb. Um, but by Monday, by the time I got to A&E, which from where I live to A&E, it's only a 10 minute car ride. Uh, my left foot had dropped. So by this point, both foot, you know, I was unable to to walk. So it is really fascinating, isn't it, how everybody's completely different. And that journey can just take it. Like with you, it seems like it was just 24 hours and, yeah. you know, that that's it. It just grabbed you. How how difficult is that from a professional perspective, I guess, you know, and, and you being in the industry, you know, for that to be diagnosed, because, you know, we hear sometimes in the groups as well, where some people have been misdiagnosed and, you know, they've had to wait a lot longer and mm -hmm. then it got to the point where they've lost complete sensation. And as I began to, to sort of understand is you have that kind of 24, 48 hour window yeah. where you've got to be very mindful. And I think that's when you've got to, you know, uh, operate, especially if you're losing bowel and bladder control as well. Um, with that in mind and, and seeing how, how all of our experiences are so different. How difficult does that make make it for 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 the professional to to be to to diagnose it? Um, I think it is a very difficult thing to diagnose because everybody's journey, as you rightly say, and everybody's symptoms actually can really vary quite significantly. I think before I had um, quadriquina, I always assumed that it that you had to have back pain. Everybody with quadriquina would definitely have some form of back pain. I had absolutely no back pain whatsoever mm. until afterwards. Then I developed a lot of back pain. But at the time, I had no back pain. It was just the pain predominantly in my um, the back of my thigh. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing I think that um, was a surprise to me was that we, we always talk about loss of bladder and bowel control mm -hmm. and most people assume that means incontinence um, but actually it doesn't necessarily mean incontinence it, it can also mean retention um, mm -hmm. which in which was what happened to me I the muscles wouldn't work and so I just retained urine I was I wasn't incontinent at any stage quite the opposite so certainly for me two lessons I learned through my own experiences one don't always assume that someone with quadriquina is going to have back pain because they may not, although they usually do, but they may not. And secondly, it's any form of change in bladder and bowel control, whether that be um, for men, 
Um, it might even present a little bit like a urinary tract infection, you know, small passing small amounts of urine more frequently, poor flow, hesitancy mm. for men having difficulty getting going. And for women, it could be incontinence, it could be retention, again, small, frequent urination or, or, or big, big gaps between. Mm. Um, and I think that I think the main things that we always ask for people with back pain, sort of what we call the red flags, are any loss of feeling or sensation to your um what we call saddle saddle area saddle anesthesia which is around the 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 genitals and the groin and the pelvis or any loss of feeling or sensation in in the leg um you can test reflexes because with cord recliner the reflexes will go so for example I'm sure it would have been the case for you, certainly the case for me. I had no reflex in my foot at all um, and nor um, my knee either. Um, So you can test for reflexes. You can, one simple test that I get um, patients to do um, is I get them to stand onto the balls of their feet because with cord recliner, it's very common, not always, but very common to get foot drop. And if you get foot drop, you won't you will lose the ability to stand onto the balls of your feet so when examining a patient that's one thing i always get them to do so the red flags are really around change of bladder bowel control and loss of feeling or sensation in a leg and if the answer to that is yes then i think you always have to be alerted to the possibility of um a severe disc herniation that could be called requiner or certainly at risk of becoming um, quarter equina, which at which stage I tend to then um, refer. I, I may be more cautious than some of my colleagues having experienced it myself, especially as I didn't follow a typical um, a typical pattern. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And this is something which um, I guess we've all got to be mindful around um, as a I guess as a, as a as a patient, and then also from a, from a professional perspective. Is there a way, and, and I'd love to 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 ask you, um, is there a way in which, I guess from a professional perspective, there is further training around this? Because th- it doesn't seem that there is a lot of um a lot of information out there. Like everybody that I've, I speak to um just has no idea what it is. Um and from a from a professional perspective, how much you know, I know that I guess you you get taught about it, but I guess it's not something which is because it's it's very rare. Um, is there any 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 training? Is there something that I guess, especially for you, where you've gone through it yourself now, you've kind of had to, you know, you've you've had this experience. Um, is there something that the the, the NHS as a, as a whole can do in order to be more more aware of it, to be able to kind of diagnose it sooner? Is there something that we can do possibly, in your opinion? Um, yes and no, in as much as it is very difficult. I mean, you, I have, although I have sent probably half a dozen or so, maybe slightly more patients to A&E with suspected cord recliner, I have not yet in my clinical history ever had a single patient who has had cord recliner and to put it into perspective I see 36 patients a day Mm -hmm. and I've been doing this for 
I've been working as an advanced nurse practitioner now for over 20 years. Mm -hmm. In the average course of a GP's lifetime, they are likely to come across clinical lifetime, that is, of of Mm -hmm. working, bearing in mind that that could be, you know, 35, 40 years of of clinical work. They're Mm -hmm. likely to see on average one patient. Wow. So it's it's very rare that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that's okay to miss it that doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that we shouldn't um put resources into it Mm -hmm. but obviously because the consequences of missing it are catastrophic to somebody can be catastrophic to somebody's Mm -hmm. life um so i think yes training and awareness is always really important and i would always advocate any patient that feels able to um speak to their GP about volunteering themselves and their experience to speak to in GP forums because we do have forums we do have meetings clinical meetings on various subjects um through their neurologist or orthopedic surgeon depending on who um spinal neurologist or orthopedics depending on who did their surgery always if you want to to volunteer to speak to a group of clinicians to share your stories and your experiences to heighten awareness um i think for me locally two things that i found invaluable in my road to recovery the first was um hydrotherapy mm-hmm. um i think when i very first had nhs physio which was arranged for as soon as i was discharged it wasn't that easy to find a physio within our group of physios at our local hospital that had a special interest in spinal um uh in spinal sort of um physio Mm -hmm. i think if you're lucky enough to have access to places like stoke mandeville or the spinal center in salisbury then that's brilliant absolutely Mm -hmm. push for that if it's within your locality and take advantage you know i live in the cotswolds and um Mm -hmm. you know i'm not near a big a big center i did have my surgery in bristol but that's an hour away Mm -hmm. an hour away from me so physio was arranged locally um so the physio was was okay it but it wasn't really very specialist so I pushed very hard to get referred for hydrotherapy and hydrotherapy physio was absolutely the the best thing for me that helped me to regain eventually regain the the use more or less of my um of my left leg because um a bit like yourself I'd been very fit and active. I was absolutely determined that this was not going to be the end of my story. This was not going to be my journey. You know, I went through a process of grieving for my previous life and all Mm. the things I'd wanted to do because the changes were were huge. You know, was I going to be able to go back to work? Could I do my job? Um, You know, was I going to be able to exercise again? And all of those things. Um, Mm. So as well as going to physio, hydrotherapy once a week, I then went to the local swimming pool every day. I was hoisted in and out of the water because I couldn't mobilize sufficiently to get myself in and out of the water. I couldn't get up steps and walk on slippery ground. That was just, you know, wheelchair to the hoist in the water. Mm. Did it every day. It was it it was my full-time job. Mm. And um I would see people at hydrotherapy who'd go every week and they would expect improvement from just doing their exercises once a week and it's like and they weren't making progress Mm. and it's like well you're not going to make progress you have to work so hard at this if you really want 
the outcome because your window for change and improvement is small. So maximize mm. it and throw everything you can at it. So I've worked very hard with my um, local physiotherapists to campaign to get the post quadriquina treatment pathway changed. Okay. So I had the hydrotherapy, which was amazing. And the most important thing for me, I didn't unfortunately get access to specialist bladder and bowel physiotherapists till over a year later mm-hmm. <laughs> when I was dealing with um, a small amount of fecal incontinence, not loads, but, mm-hmm. um, and it was, it was just a little bit, but it was in, and an inability to um, control farting, you know, mm-hmm. just, yeah. and, no, and having no, no warning that yeah. I maybe was going to break wind. And mm. of course, when you're in a clinical setting and you're examining patients, I was now back at work and, you know, you've got to bend down to look in a patient's ears or something. Mm. It could be really embarrassing if, yeah. if all of a sudden you break wind. You've got <laughs> yeah. no, you've got no notice of that. And, yeah. you know, so just dealing with little things like that were actually, <laughs> you know, quite embarrassing for me. Mm. Um, so I did eventually get, um, uh, referred to a specialist bladder and bowel physio um and it has helped a bit um mm-hmm. and tried all sorts of all sorts of things from you know plugs to um physio exercises and um nerve stimulators for the bowel and all sorts of things and i have got better so for me it was um uh, bowel control Mm -hmm. um my muscles are still very weak and so um you know ever you know I ever to get diarrhea and vomiting there's absolutely no way I could go Mm -hmm. anywhere near work with Mm -hmm. diarrhea not that I would anyway but I would Mm -hmm. have just zero control yeah Um, and I still have very high residual volumes in my bladder so I'm supposed Mm -hmm. to do intermittent self-catheterization twice a day Mm -hmm. just to um get rid of the residual volumes to reduce the risks of infection but i have Mm -hmm. i have control of my bladder i don't have any incontinence or anything but Mm -hmm. so i think the two things for me that i've worked on locally is access straight away to specialist bladder bladder and bowel physiotherapists Mm -hmm. and hydrotherapy because i think if you can get the right intervention early on you give yourself the best chance of of recovering as from the nerve damage as much as you're ever going to be able to. And that obviously, as you know, varies Mm -hmm. hugely from one person to another. Yeah, really does. Really does. And that's something which for me, um, I've been, my wife and I, you know, we, we do a lot of research, uh, her in particular, she's, she's, she's incredible. Whilst I was in hospital, you know, my number one thing like yourself was to get back on my feet you know, because I, I can only go home if I could do stairs. Yeah. So that was my goal. It became a full-time job. And I remember having a notepad with me and I wrote out pretty much my day was, you know, get up, have breakfast, have a call with the family, you know, do, and then start my exercises throughout the whole day. And I'd just be exercising, whether that be walking up and down a hallway or, you know, and then it became a thing now where I'd just be walking up and down, saying hello to everybody. But like you, I didn't give myself a choice to say, this is it. I didn't, I didn't accept the fact that in my head was, this is me. I'm never going to walk again. I, absolutely not. There is no, there, that is not a choice for me. And 
And I think because I gave myself just one opportunity, there is just one opportunity for me and it's to recover a hundred percent. And I just did everything that I could and continue to still, um, to do everything that I can to continue improving. And, um, and I think, you know, a lot like you, it's so important to know and understand the things to do, especially, you know, for us, bowel, bladder, you know, obviously, you know, how can we then do everything that we can to, to start mobilizing, to start walking, to build strength? Because when things switch off, you know, it's about, okay, how do we re-engage those muscles? How do we switch things back on again? You know, how do we, you know, what what can we do about it? And these were the questions for me. And I, there were certain things from, I guess, my training days of CrossFit, martial arts, and, you know, and always having a, a passion around these things that helped. But I was limited from a physio perspective, you know, understanding the nerves. How does that work? And I want to, I want to, I'd love to, to, to understand because you mentioned the importance of, you know, the kind of that first year or two years. Um, why is that so important? Because this is something I'm really interested in because I'm still new in, you know, for me, it only happened in September 23. So um, selfishly, and also the people listening, take notes, because this is obviously something really important. So what is what is it about the first year and two years that is so important for us to do all that we can in order for us to get, you know, as close to that 100%, if not 100%, you know, recovery? And of course, I know things take time. Um, but if we have that time on our hands, like yourself, you kind of made it a bit of a full-time job, you know, to, to get the results that you need. Um, why is it so important? It's really important because unlike um, muscles and bones, which tend to repair themselves over a period of sort of six to eight weeks, depending on our age, obviously, it takes longer as we get older, nerve damage and repair takes a lot longer. Um, nerves are very, very sensitive. Um, you know, you've, we've probably all had a nasty cut or maybe an operation where we've got a scar and actually the area around that scar can feel numb for a really long time um, and sometimes never never reoccurs now even if um so in quadriquina the reason it becomes such an emergency is because the disc herniates to such an extent that it that it not just presses or or touches the um the quadriquina nerves in the spinal cord but it presses against them so hard that they lose their, they start to lose their blood supply and they start to die, which is why the decompression is so important within mm. 24 to 48 hours to restore that blood supply back to the nerves to try and prevent permanent damage. Because once you've cut off their blood supply for 48 hours, the chances of getting that nerve to recover are extremely low. So that's why surgery so quickly is important. But even if we release the, the pressure on those nerves, they for how, however long they've been compressed, they've been under severe stress and nerves are very sensitive, very delicate things that don't respond very well. There's no toughness in them like a bone. You know, you can mm. knock a bone a load and bruise it and maybe slightly crack it, but to, you know, to obliterate a bone is really hard. 
but to obliterate a nerve is not hard given the right set of circumstances. Mm. And they're quite delicate, but within that first year to two years, nerves do have regenerative regenerative um, properties. We can, we can, with the right form of stimulation, we can get them to regenerate, to grow and to um, recover. But once it's been unstimulated and pretty much dead or dormant for over two years, the opportunity to stimulate and to regenerate that nerve is greatly reduced. It's not impossible. You will still get tiny gains, but the big gains are in the first two years. And even if like you and I, you know, we started our journeys initially maybe in a wheelchair or certainly on crutches and splints and things like that, there is still massive hope of being able to significantly improve that situation with a lot of work and stimulation. And again, if you're in a wheelchair, your opportunity for physio at home is quite limited, which is another reason why hydrotherapy is so important because you get in water and you can move in a way that you can't when you're in a wheelchair. Mm. Um, But it's really important to do all of those exercises. However, depressed and down and miserable you feel because a lot of people will still have a lot of pain that they're dealing with Mm -hmm. Um, and you know getting used to bladder and bowel issues and the lack of mobility and depression is a big a big thing and when we get depressed it's really hard to be motivated so trying to develop sufficient mental toughness to um, concentrate on the rehab side of things is very difficult but it's absolutely essential and so worthwhile doing because there is so much possibility for improvement if you can just galvanize yourself enough to try and do that. And even if it's just you focus on today I'm doing this and tomorrow mm-hmm. I'm doing that, mm-hmm. just take it one day at a time. But but you know, mm. please don't give up, you know, mm. because it, you know, for some people their life sadly will be in a wheelchair and there's nothing Mm. that they or anyone can do and that's desperately sad Mm. but there is a huge room of improvement for an awful lot of people Mm. yeah yeah that is that is very true and for um you mentioned there are certain things which you know which people can do one of the things which naturally came to me i guess because i'm just generally a very inquisitive person and when my feet were uh, were completely numb, I started to just massage my myself, just massaging my legs, just rubbing where everything was numb. And it was very interesting how <clears throat> how quickly things started to sensation, especially around my legs, around the back of my legs. There are certain areas that still feel a little bit numb, but um, thankfully, a, a lot of it has has come back. Um, but there is still, you know, a, a lot of work there that that needs to be done. Like I said, my both my feet are, are still uh, weak. My left foot is completely still still dropped. I still feel on the inside when I try to move my my feet. When I kind of command my left foot to move on the inside, I feel like I guess the nerve is twitching. If that makes sense, um, but there's nothing there just yet. But I don't give up. So one of the things I'd like to, because it's easy, and that's something which I could have very easily fallen into, as you mentioned about depression. Yeah. You know, I came out of the the art 
And the first thing I was so grateful for is the fact that I was not in pain anymore because, as you mentioned, I actually didn't have back pain. What I what developed for me was the sciatica. So yeah. it was that nerve pain, but it was so excruciating that um, at one point, uh, my wife knows me. I've always been a very, very strong person, you know, very, um, very sort of determined, very kind. And she's never seen me so vulnerable and in a, in a position where I was in so much agony and so much pain. I was in the bedroom and uh, I was on the floor wailing. I was crying so much that at one point I thought I was going to pass out. So for me, coming out the other end and going, oh, my God, I mean, no pain. That for me in itself, even now, like he still makes me a little bit emotional because I was like, thank God. But I do. and But this is where I sympathize with people who are in pain because we know what that can feel like. Um, but from a, from a, a stimulus perspective, um, you mentioned there are things that people can do without kind of falling into the depression which, as I said, is something that we can easily fall into. And I, and I had that opportunity there when I woke up and went, oh, my God, my legs have gone. Everything switched off. And yeah. it's incredible when you wake up and, you know, because of the weight training I did, my legs were pretty strong. You know, I had very strong legs. So I wake up and I look down and I was like, oh, my God, my legs have turned into twigs. What the hell has happened? Yeah. And then, you know, you realize that when the muscles switch off, it's incredible how that just happens. Yeah, and, that in and, you, itself, and you lose it so quickly. You know, you can, yeah. you can lose muscle mass and things um, very quickly. But from a stimulation point of view, any form of stimulation is good. So any form of exercise that the physio gives you, however tiny, even if it's just looking at your toes and trying to command them to move and sending those signals as a stimulation. You know, massaging is really good. Getting a... Um, almost like a foam roller mm -hmm. um, and also those you can get those balls which are rubber balls which have got slight spikes on them mm -hmm. um, and you'll probably feel a real difference between putting them under your thigh or buttock on one side to another side because on the side that's dead you won't you won't be able to tell the difference whether it's a tennis ball or or a ball with spikes because you just won't feel it mm. so any form of external stimulation in terms of massage foam rollers um hot cold um you know ice heat anything to stimulate nerves is good mm. as well as as much functional movement as you as you possibly can whether that be just sitting on the sofa and trying to move your foot up and down even if it's not really wiggling just really concentrating on doing that every day and it's, and just so that those nerves are getting those signals from the brain even if they're not getting through today mm. there'll be a day when hopefully they will and um if you're able to walk walking as much as you possibly can mm. yeah no and and that's really interesting because that's that's how i started um was exactly the same just kept looking at my feet and just say come on move wiggle yeah. wiggle and and i do that every single day i don't have anything else to do you know and no. i think if there's something if there's something i'd say to people i remember bringing my laptop with me to the hostel thinking oh i'm gonna work and like i've got no business doing anything you know i'm this is the last thing i want to focus on is getting stressed about working or, or doing anything and i dedicated that time still now this year i'm ready now to start doing a little bit of work um but my main focus still is recovery 
you know, is getting better, getting stronger and really, really focusing. Um, talk to me about your 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 recovery journey, because you I know you sort of touched on it and you did the, the, the hydro. How long was it for you? Because, again, one of the things which I'm learning more and more about, and this is just, you know, interest and obviously for the listeners as well. There is not really a timeline with this. This is something which I was a little bit disappointed and frustrated with my consultant when he came and stood at the end of my bed and said to me, you'll be home by Friday. Uh, this is on a Wednesday. And he said, right, you're going to be home by Friday. Um, you, you know, you'll start to get sensations within, you know, within eight weeks. Uh, by the 12th week, you know, you should be able to start driving. And within three to four months, you know, you'll be able to go back to the gym. And I'm looking down at myself going, what is this guy on? And I kept saying to him, look, this is not, this can't be possible because my feet have gone dead. My legs are a jelly. The muscles that I had have, have completely switched off. Like, are you sure this is the case? So as we've kind of learned, every case is very different. And, um, you know, how was that kind of timeline for you? Because it's been seven years, right? So post-op for yeah. you, isn't it? It's now seven years. Um how long was it until, you know, for you, I guess, because you you only had foot drop on on one side. Yeah. Um, how was that kind of journey? And, and, you know, you mentioned about bowel and bladder as well. Talk, take me through kind of that journey and, you know, how how was your recovery? Um, I think I was a little bit unlucky in my um, recovery um, because it's probably, it's taken a long time because I had a lot of setbacks. I... Um, was doing all my rehab and slightly getting better I managed to get myself from crutches down to one stick and down to just an ankle brace for the dropped foot rather than a whole leg brace so I had and I still had what we call a prancing gait which was where I walked by um, using my upper thighs and lifting my legs a bit like a prancing horse does in dressage because I couldn't walk properly um, and then unfortunately I did have some, still have some pain. And then that pain got a lot worse again. And my legs started to become very painful and my foot drop increased. Um, my GP was very good, very on it. I had another scan and what had been left of the disc had re-herniated and was again pressing on the spinal cord. So I had to have another um, surgery, came out of that, had lost the use of my leg again, was back to a wheelchair and then crutches, et cetera, and started the whole rehab process all over again. About another three to six months later, it happened again. Um, so again, I'd got myself to a reasonable stage of recovery and again, the disc re-herniated. Um, so further surgery, back to square one. And this happened on four occasions. Um, and every time the rehab got harder, mentally it got harder because, you know, it's kind of what you don't know, you don't know. So when you're stood at the bottom of that mountain, you've got to climb and you're full of determination at the first time you climb it, you kind of ignorance is bliss. You don't know what's ahead of you and you, you know, trying to be positive and you're going to do this once you've done it you know how incredibly hard it is and how much it takes out of you both physically in terms of time, t 
tiredness, fatigue, but most importantly, I think actually mentally how tough it is mm. to keep going through those really dark days that we all have. Mm. So to have to do that four times over a period of probably three years was um, extremely difficult. Um, eventually they fused my L5 S1 and fortunately since that, which would now be four years ago, I haven't had a recurrence of any problem. In between all of that, I had excruciating facet joint pain, mm -hmm. which was extremely painful. So I had a procedure called rhizolysis mm -hmm. or rhizolysis, which is where they go into the facet joint and they burn the nerve that causes the pain. So they destroy it. Um, it can grow back. So rhizolysis may only last two years, mm -hmm. um, but it can last five years or for sometimes it can last a lifetime. Because I'm in my mid fifties now, I'm hoping the fact my nerves won't be quite so great as regenerating. So I'm really hoping that particular nerve doesn't grow back <laughs> yeah. because um, the facet joint pain I got afterwards was, was extremely, extremely painful. Mm -hmm. um, I also in between in that journey got something called discitis, which is an infection within the disc. So I was in hospital for three months on IV antibiotics mm -hmm. to treat that. Mm -hmm. So haven't had a particularly easy journey um, yeah, except yeah. that um, I only had one leg that was affected. So I think since the fusion, which for me was a game changer, um, it's completely got rid of any back pain I had. I still have some residual um, sciatic pain in my um, left leg, I think, from the nerve damage. And I think I will always have that. Mm -hmm. um, I only take amitriptyline at night for that because mm -hmm. I believe that if you can sleep well and deal then you can deal with pain during the day mm -hmm. I have things like a sit stand desk at work so I stand for some of the time I sit I vary my position and all of these little things um things really help so once this once I had the fusion and I didn't have any further problems I think my rehab took probably about another year after that in terms of my leg strength mm -hmm. and about three years ago I started doing a bit of running again mm -hmm. not that I would tell my surgeon now <laughs> I have a very ungainly style of running because mm -hmm. I still have some foot drop mm -hmm. and as I get tired that foot drop increases right um and whenever I had MRI scans you could see the muscle wastage in the left side compared to the right mm -hmm. um I'm now training for the London Marathon yeah. um, and I'm using a personal trainer once a week who is working specifically and only on strengthening my left leg. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, I have been amazed that seven years down the line, despite a huge discrepancy in strength between my right and left leg, um, that actually I have made improvements in strength in my left leg, which I really never thought that I would. I really thought that the nerve damage was such that the muscle strength in my left leg would, would never really recover. Um, it may not be as strong as my right, but hey, we've all got one-sided yeah. dominant strength. But I have yeah. been amazed at how um, much work, working on functional strength in the gym with a personal trainer has improved the strength in my um, left leg, which, so I'm hoping yeah. I get to the, <laughs> 
<laughs> a, I get to the start line in April, and B, yeah. I then get to the finish line. But um, and in terms of bladder and bowel function, um, I think as I touched on before, I do intermittent self catheterization twice a day just to get mm -hmm. rid of residual volumes. Mm -hmm. um, most people will probably start to feel the urge to go to the loo for a wee when they've got about 200 mils in their bladder mm -hmm. and 400 mils is considered you know a full bladder really mm -hmm. i probably have to get to at least 400 mils before i have any sensation of needing a wee mm -hmm. and i can certainly hold up to 650 without mm -hmm. a problem mm -hmm. um so i probably have a a very much stretched bladder now just because of the um lack of sensation which means it probably fills more than mm -hmm. it it should do which is why the self-catheterization mm -hmm. is important mm -hmm. so that i don't have a reservoir of um stale urine for a long period of time which set up infection mm -hmm. so i haven't made anything like as much progress with bladder and bowel issues um over the seven years as i have with leg function and strength um i think that's partly because I didn't get access to specialist bladder and bowel physiotherapy till well over a year in, mm -hmm. into my journey. And then I had get had kept getting recurrent problems, which I don't think helped. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, improvement in bladder and bowel function hasn't been great. Mm -hmm. um, the, the progress there has been far less but the improvement in my mobility and leg strength and being able to walk and now run mm -hmm. has been, has been huge. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. And do you, for your left uh, foot, do you still wear the ankle splint or is that, are you now in a position where, you know, you're strong enough to run without? I don't wear it. Um, mm -hmm. I, I am actually now debating whether, to wear it for my running because I'm now up to about 22 kilometers in my training mm -hmm. and the foot drop is becoming really quite noticeable mm -hmm. and the problem with that is that because I'm now having to be very conscious about lifting my left leg so mm -hmm. that I don't trip mm -hmm. um it's actually I'm actually starting to get some hip and knee pain on the right side right. which I think is carrying Mm -hmm. my left leg mm -hmm. so um i am actually seeing a physio next week about mm -hmm. whether or not i should go i should start running with the splint on mm -hmm. in order to protect against um the foot the foot drop so yeah it's not it's not an easy journey by any stretch of the imagination i mm -hmm. really hope that i do get to be able to do the amount of kilometers needed for the london marathon um mm -hmm. i'm more than okay with if I only run halfway and have to walk the mm -hmm. final half, then mm -hmm. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, foot drop when I get fatigue with running is an issue. And like I say, I don't, I don't have a normal running style by any yeah. stretch of the imagination. <laughs> <laughs> but just the fact that, you know, you're, you're doing it, you know, that in itself is, is, is incredible, you know, and, Thank you know, you. and, and then what an achievement to be able to train, <clears throat> excuse me, to be able to train for something like that as well, because the London Marathon is, you know, it's an achievement, you know, to be able to do something like that. And especially after going through what you've been through as well, and not just the quarter requirement, having to repeat, 
issues that you've had with your spine and you know yeah. and, and and all the other complications as well i think it's you know to me it just goes to show that the the determination your strength in mind body you know just to be able to just not give up which i think you know that's such a, a an important but also as well a very encouraging message for for a lot of people because as we mentioned you know this is something which is so unpredictable because you know one minute you know your everything feels feels great um just before christmas i think it was it was about two three days before christmas i as you know bowel and bladder for us is something which you know is is a bit of an issue and yeah. every now and then even just before we got started it's like oh, i'm so sorry i really need to go and when you need to go you need to go yeah. and um and I went and I'm the kids are talking to me and we're just chatting away. And I was like, okay, cool. Done. Went to just bend forward to pick up my, you know, my, cause I'm having to wear a, a pad at the moment because I'm still, you know, things uh, leak sometimes with, with the bladder. Uh, bowel seems to be okay as well, but um, I went to just pick up my, my, my pants and, you know, and shorts. And all of a sudden I pulled my back. And I was like, oh, my God. And my wife then came running in. She's like, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I think I've just pulled a muscle on my back. Obviously, panic sets in slightly yeah. because I've never been through this before. This is something which is not not usual. So I phoned uh, the GP, Dr. Phones, had a conversation with him, explained where everything is. And he said, look, I'm looking at your MRI scan because I had I demanded two, I demanded a post-MRI scan. Okay. Because whilst I was at the hospital and we were very fortunate that one of my wife, my wife's a psychotherapist and one of her clients, um, his mum and dad are both in the professional field as well. He's a, um, a surgeon um, in the field. <clears throat> so he's kind of done quarter equina surgeries before. So he was a huge help to us right. in, you know, whilst I was in the hospital. And one of the things I'd mentioned, uh, it was my right foot. I started to get severe pain down my leg again so i said to them look what's going on and thankfully we had this consultant anyways cut the story short he said look demand a post mri scan eventually they did one because there were a few things they messed up at the hospital unfortunately uh with with a number of things and um so with that i demanded that they do a post mri scan just to be on the safe side uh, especially with everything that had happened before Everything came back perfectly, thank God. So he was looking at the MRI scan and said, look, everything is perfect. It just seems like it's a muscle. <clears throat> now, for most people will go, oh, my God, this is such a nightmare, which don't get me wrong, it's a pain in the ass when you can't walk anyway. When you pull a muscle on your back, dang in itself is, you know, is a pain. But for me, I actually laughed and said to him, do you know what? Brilliant. Because for me, it means that the muscle is switching on. <laughs> yes, you can actually feel the muscle. This is it. <laughs> And I laughed and my wife came home. She she popped out really quick and she came home. She went, is everything okay? And I said, yeah, it's just muscle pain. I pulled a muscle on my back. Yeah. And um, But I have I muscles. Yeah. But I have muscles. Yeah, this is it. I was like, oh, they switched on. He's like, oh, that's good news. But like you, thankfully, I got some, some very strong painkillers. And I also have um, a CBD oil, which is very strong CBD oil. And uh, if there's one thing I recommend to anybody with nerve pain, because <clears throat> one of the things I started to get as well is as I'm demanding, you know, my feet to wake up on my mm -hmm. left foot, 
just that as, as this was happening uh, with my back, my left foot at the top of my left foot on uh, just by the, the pinky, I started to get this shooting nerve pain at the top of my foot. And it started, um, started one evening whilst I was asleep. And I got up at like half three in the morning and then literally could not go back to sleep. So I've got this CBD, which um, you don't need a lot of because it's very, which very helps. short. Yeah. yeah. And it's really, really helped. And that's something I recommend to, to, to people as well. You know, if, if, if you're a little bit mindful or cautious about taking uh, painkillers, uh, strong CBD helps. Yeah, it's definitely, helps with sleep I think it helps my, with the nerve. If my nerve pain became severe again, hopefully, you know, it's at a level, it's there. And when mm -hmm. I'm tired or I, I mean, I'm going. I'm going to be flying long haul um, uh -huh. next month. So actually, I'm speaking to my GP this afternoon. I will ask for a sleeping tablet just uh -huh. for the flight because uh -huh. I've done that before. Because I cannot sit on a long yeah. haul uh -huh. flight for the duration because the the pain just builds up in my leg and becomes unbearable. Yeah. I can't uh -huh. sit for long periods of periods of time. Yeah. And with the running, I have to be careful of blisters on my left foot because I still have numbness there. But I think one of the biggest issues for me with running has been bowel control. Um, right. Runners anyway can get what they call runner's trots. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. For me, it's um, it's a real issue. And I've tried all sorts of things, you know, to um, try and minimize the occurrence or occurrences of, of um, accidents, which mm -hmm. have happened. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I, I've now worked out that if I, if I use a um, uh, a suppository to empty everything out the day before, mm. then I'm okay. So I've yeah. managed to work out what worked. No point doing it that day because then, unfortunately, you get yeah. residual accidents. So if you do it mm -hmm. the day before, certainly for me, that has that mm -hmm. has been the answer to then yeah. to then manage the running without without those problems yeah <laughs> <laughs> there's so many so many things that you have to do as a as a, as a workaround unfortunately but there are yeah. works around it and and I I kind of want to say to people that for those really unfortunate people who are in a wheelchair and I feel desperately sad for them that they are I I don't want them to think that that's because they didn't work hard enough at their rehab or that you know there's any anything that they didn't do or could have done that would have made a difference because I'm absolutely certain that for a few people there was absolutely nothing that could have changed mm -hmm. that really tragic outcome mm -hmm. um I just want to try and encourage people that do have some degree of um, mobility that you know you and I both had in terms of mm -hmm. being on splints and crutches and things that actually for those people um there is a huge amount of progress that's possible and and there may mm. well be for some people in wheelchairs too i just mm. don't want people who are in wheelchairs four or five years later to think that it's because somehow or another they didn't work hard enough at their rehab because for mm. some people that absolutely isn't the case yeah. and there's nothing that could have been done mm. but but i think they are the minority you know yeah. sadly they are the minority and in a way thank goodness because it would be awful for yeah. too many people to end up like that and my mm. my heart absolutely goes out to the people in those tragic circumstances but yeah. for an awful lot of us there is an awful lot that we can do to really mm. improve our quality of life long term yeah 
Yeah, definitely. And I think it's, you know, this is the thing. It, it's important for people to understand that, you know, because it, it is very easy to lose hope, right? And there's yeah. been times even for me just waking up in the morning and I dream of walking, walking with my children and running. And there's been so many times where I've had dreams where I've woken up and I'm so happy. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I, you know, I've been having to wear uh, like these uh, foot, um, like these little beauties. Yeah. Um, I don't need to wear them anymore. Thank God. But um, they're just cast for those who are listening uh, that they, they cast your feet. So they kind of stay at, at um, you know, upright position. And recently my physio said to me, look, you don't need to wear them anymore now. Cause you're walking every day. You're going to the gym, you know, and, and I'm doing my, my stretches. Um, these aren't aren't necessary but i feel for for people because you know it, it is easy even for me sometimes i wake up and i'm like got to get on the crutches you know this morning my legs were heavy you know yeah. i had i i completely misread or completely forgot <clears throat> that i had a physio session so i went to the gym actually did my first proper leg session not nothing kind of major but I just did a little bit more work than, than I could because now I have the ankle uh, bracelets or the ankle splints. I can actually do more things as a complete leg workout, which has been helping. And it's been helping with me standing, walking, mobility, everything. So I thought, oh, let me go and do that. Got home, got in a shower. We were just about to leave to go take the kids to the cinema. There's a knock at the door. <laughs> it's my physio. And I had completely forgot that mm -hmm. she that she had turned that, you know, that we had a session. So we went through the session and um, I, unfortunately, my legs, you know, I overdid it slightly, yeah. you know, and um, my left leg in particular, my right leg is fine, but my left leg being the weaker one at the moment, um, you know, was affected by it. And I woke up this morning at, and at one point I had my crutches and I can walk bare feet now. I uh, thought I was going to topple over. And these are the things that, you know, we take for granted, you know, and for those of you who are listening, who are going through this journey and you wake up and some days you're going to feel great, but there are some days and there will be moments like that where I wake up and go, oh, for Christ's sake, you know, and I'm trying to shut the door behind me, you know, because my wife's having a little bit of a longer sleep. We kind of alternate with the kids who wakes up in yeah. the morning and today was my day to wake up with them. And, um, and those things sometimes, you know, can can take their toll, you know, and with kids running around, I've got four children, two of them are, are grown ups, uh, 26 and 19. And then I've got a two and a, and a five year old and the two and five year old are, are beautiful, but they're children, you know, yeah, they have energy. <laughs> they are, they're full of beans. Yeah, they're full of beans. And, you know, all of these things we have to take into consideration. So, you know, be one of the the advices I'd give to anybody, and this is something that even I struggle with, and I have to remind myself, and I specialize in mental health and addiction, you know. So these are things that I practice and still struggle with is, is being patient, you know, be very patient with yourself, be very kind to yourself, you know, as you're as you're going through this journey and where you can do what you can, you know, as as Lydia has, has shown through her journey, just do one little bit at a time, you know, even it, it is for the first part of your morning you know i used to you know, i shared my workouts and things that i was doing and i purely just shared because 
I don't really know what I was going through. I don't really know what I got myself into. And I didn't really know how this was going to pan out. So I wanted to to sort of share things with people in, in the groups, you know, that, that we're in, particularly for, for guidance, you know, is this okay? Am I doing the right things? You know, uh, yeah. you know, and, and also this is what I'm doing guys. Is it, is it working for you? You know, as a community, you know, is, is this of benefits and which is why I wanted to start to do this as well to reach, um, you know, a sort of a further audience. Um, and I think that's really worthwhile because there really isn't, once you get discharged from physio, which you're not there yet, but, you know, after about six months or so, I think I was discharged from physio and they said to me, you know, you'll never drive a manual car again. You'll have to get an automatic, which I did. Mm. Um, you know, you won't be able to go back to work. And definitely when I went to o OT to go back to work, they said, had I worked on a ward I probably wouldn't have been able to go back to work because I wouldn't have been able to respond to a cardiac arrest and and, and lift patients. Not that you're kind of supposed to lift, but in an emergency. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, but I think I think you can you can definitely prove these people these people wrong. Mm -hmm. um, but it is it is a journey. It is hard work. And once once certain things like that have finished, you are kind of on your own to. Mm -hmm to find your way as best you can through the rest of it. And I suppose, mm. you know, you've got two years to work really hard. Mm. I mean, there's still opportunity for improvement after that, as I have seen myself by mm -hmm. being in the gym seven years later, which mm. has really surprised me. Mm. But the biggest gains will be in those two years. So yeah. um, maximize that, tap into mm. everything you can, every resource you can, you know, your podcasts yeah. are an amazing thing to do to help get information and hope out there because mm. we are a very scattered small mm. um community with very different experiences very different resources you know and um it, we only really have each other for longer term mm. um support and help to mm. hopefully get more people i mean you've made amazing progress in the Thank three you. months since um since you know your injury you know you've made really good strides and mm. and that is a lot of that is going to have been down to you and the effort yeah. that you've put in and the dedication that you've put in um mm. to it so i think there's every reason for people to be hopeful and, and be positively encouraged that their efforts however futile they may seem with their bloody foot still not moving two <laughs> months later you will get there and if you yeah. just persevere it it, mm. it it will it definitely will help yeah yeah absolutely and one of the things i'd quite i'd, I'd love to get your take on <clears throat> because as we know and we've touched on this a number of times you know this journey is so up and down so diverse you know and it, it's an ongoing journey um what what if anything what do you do or what have you done to help you with that mindset because one of the things that has helped me was or is the mindset is that mindset of i'm going to do this you know i'm gonna do this i mean i'm gonna recover i'm gonna do everything in my power you know to to get to where i want to be and and you know and just i even through those tough times and there's been times where i've right to my wife a number of times you know and there's been times when I thought man like this sucks you know this is shit you know and you know and and 
I don't know if you've had a fall. I've had a, you know, a number of just little slips, thank God, nothing major. And there'd been times when I've laughed about it. And there's been times when it really scared me, you know, because you just caught me out of the blue. What have you, what is it that you've kind of put into practice that people can take away, you know, that has helped you around your mindset and to kind of get and achieve to run a marathon, just to train for one when you're, when you're just fully healthy, something that takes a lot of strong mindset to do, to go through your journey and to, to be where you are right now. What are are the things that you've done? Um, I, I, I guess it's a different for everybody. Um, I, I consider myself very lucky in that I came from a sporting background in my youth. I swam for Great Britain. So I know what, what discipline and training is. I know how hard it is and I know that I can survive it and that I hate swimming. I did it as part of my rehab, but it's the only swimming I've done since I left competitive swimming um, 35, 40 years ago now. And um, and I and I did it as part of my rehab because I know the benefits of it, but I hated every minute of it. Um, and I was very fit doing mm-hmm. other forms of exercise before. And I suppose, and I can honestly say New Year's Eve seven years ago was a beautifully sunny, cold, crisp day. I was in the park doing British military fitness, clearly had a totally rubbish squatting technique because I think it's my poor technique that led to my injury so I would say to anyone if you're going to do things like squats and lunges for god's sake make sure that you know how to do them properly because I'm absolutely convinced that my poor technique is what because it went during squats um was my technique um and I think it's just a determination that you know I was loving life I was in a great place and all of a sudden I lost that overnight and you know, I've, I was really low for a while and found it incredibly difficult that, you know, I was in a great place and all of a sudden I was having to deal with not being able to do anything and bladder and bowel problems, which are not very sexy. You know, when you've not been divorced very long and you're trying to find new relationships, it's not mm. a great place to be. Um, so I think it was just, I almost felt I had no choice I almost felt that I was not prepared to accept a life that I didn't want to live Mm. and so I I had to do this for my own my own ability to survive the next what I hope will be 30 40 years of my life with any Mm. form of quality and yeah I had really down days and yes I got very angry and very upset at times and would cry for the loss of the life that I that I had and I thought I was going to have and and having to come to terms with that change, but making a decision that um, I was going to do my very best to ensure that that change was a positive one. And I can honestly say seven years later, I'm back to where I was seven years ago mentally. It's mm-hmm. taken a long time. I'm I'm not, you know, I'm clearly not running in the way that I'd like to, I have issues with my with my leg. I have issues with my bowels, with running, all <laughs> things that I probably wouldn't have had. Mm. Um, but I'd have had other issues in life, you know. Right? It's full of ups yeah. and downs. Life mm-hmm. is never, it's never, you know, 
an upward trajectory it's always up and down so mm -hmm. i suppose it's just um just make just making a decision that um i'm going to do the very best that i can and that sounds easy and it sounds a bit flippant really but it's actually not that easy mm -hmm. but just every day have to wake up and and say no i am going to do this it's tough and it's hard but i will feel better for having tried yeah. if i try and fail at least i can live with myself knowing that i've tried yeah yeah and that's perfectly said because <clears throat> there's nothing worse than living with regret or yeah. dying with regret you know which i think in in the work that i i do is you know something that we see a lot you know people that that really face those those moments of of regret and you know wish that they could have done things differently and if there is one thing that i've learned from this is there is no amount of money on the planet that can can buy you health that can buy you life you know that can buy you you know the ability to be alive and experience life you know and if we are you are you know the one listening you know that one person who's going through this journey at the moment but you have the ability to you know to do something about it you know if it's not permanent um then do it you know do it take the chance take the leap you know have that faith and as as lydia says and, and i'll second that one of the things that i do is i just keep it in the day that's one of the things i've learned when i came into recovery i was busted and broken and i tried to kill myself and i had overdoses but one of the things that was taught to me is just keep it in the day because you tomorrow doesn't even exist there is no tomorrow there's only today you know we have this illusion that oh we you know we can do this tomorrow but tomorrow we might never wake up so and when we do wake up it's today it's now so the the truth in the matter is is simplify things to the best that you can and and that has helped me massively really has helped me and when i'm struggling through something i can deal with that struggle in the now you know and and by being able to do that <clears throat> has allowed me to just not only deal with things a little bit more efficiently i can actually get to know myself a little bit more you you talked about you know grieving that that old person you know the person that was that who who was before this happened and the same thing happened with me i went through this grieving process and that's what i understand it to be it's a grieving process yeah and in the work that i do um you know we we call it uh you know it's the death of the old you know the death of the old us and yeah. this is the rebirth of of a new version of us so there is an opportunity here as well you know for us to 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 rebirth you know to create something new to create a new chapter and i'm going to go out and even say this even to the people who you know who who are paralyzed who who don't have full function you know below the waist let's say you know what's stopping you from being the best version that you can be then you know because and and we've seen i certainly have seen people who who have lost their limbs you know, who have lost their legs and their arms and, you know, and, and they're public speakers, you know, and not to say that this is going to happen to all of us. But what I am saying is so long as we have the breath in our bodies that we can get up every single day, you know, there is an opportunity for us to do something different. 
And I truly believe in my heart that, you know, these things happen to us for a reason, you know, and, and it gives us an opportunity to find something that, you know, that we haven't found in ourselves before. And when we allow ourselves to do that, you know, we can teach and possibly even help other people, um, you know, in their journeys as well. Yeah, I would certainly agree with that. I mean, you know, look at all those Paralympians out there. They all, well, not all, but the vast majority probably had fully functioning limbs at one point and through illness or accident, you know, their lives changed. And that's not to say everyone can be a Paralympian, but it just <laughs> highlights the fact that, you know, even if you are very sadly paralyzed from the waist down, there are still directions in life that you could consider taking that perhaps we would never have considered before that can that can give fulfillment and meaning mm. um to what you do yeah absolutely and and that's one of the things that I, I i encourage anybody you know um really go within that's one of the things that i've learned from this journey and which is why i asked you about you know kind of the mindset because that's something i i work with a lot um and i've had to you know, with having no clients now, I've had to really work on myself. And one of the things I've always prided myself in was only teaching people things that I've done myself, you know. And if there is one thing this journey has taught me is to further go within and to really, and I invite every, anybody who's going through, you know, through this journey, because mentally, this is the number one thing we need to to overcome first because i believe and i've seen it you know myself and i've had to really i've had i've been placed in this journey so you know I, the only work i can do is on myself and one of the things that i i'd invite anybody to do if you're struggling at the moment is just just go within you know and really connect with with who you are as a person you know the the mystery of life is that we don't get given a, a manual for life you know we don't get given a manual for this you know there is no as Lydia said you know life is not is not a straight line you know there is ups and downs but these ups and downs as as I have discovered when we go through these downs the only way is you're going to hit a bottom and it is only up you know but by going into these bottoms if you can go within and truly find out what you're made of and understand is where because in life there's only two choices positive or negative there's nothing really in between you know when we kind of look at it and if you can make a decision or a choice and kind of understand okay i don't want to live like this i want to have some quality of life you know whatever that may look like for you you know and if you can go within and discover uh, one of the things I'm discovering right now is what's the one thing that's going to make you happy? Because you can have the worst day, but the solution out of that is you want to feel a little bit happy. You know, like today I woke up, I felt a little bit wobbly and I sat down. What's the first thing I want to do? I just want to give my kids a hug because that always makes me feel happy. So I wobbled my way to the sofa, gave them both a hug. They wanted to watch kids TV and I was good. That made me happy. And I'm starting to discover that when we go through these tough times, there is always a bright light at the end of that tunnel. And generally, what that tends to be is a little bit of happiness, even if it's a glimpse or a glimmer. Is it picking up the phone? Is it texting somebody? You know, is it reading something that's going to make you feel positive? And 
you know, that, that for me has always been, you know, I found that that has given me a little bit of a charge, a little bit of energy. And, you know, Lydia, you know, when you're going through or when you've gone through some of these tough times, oh, how is it? Um, Sorry. That's no, okay. Thank you. So sorry, I just have to get that. <laughs> no worries. That's fine. I think um one of the things that um sorry, I'll sit back down. Mm -hmm. One of the things that um helped me with um the mental side of things and certainly in the rehab was to set myself little goals every day even if it was just um, to get up and made sure I had a shower that day, because mm. initially that was really hard work and a lot of effort with bathing chairs and showers and just the effort to try and get in and out of a shower. Mm. And glad gradually as I got stronger, different goals, and it may be just saying, okay, I'm going to go to the pool, the hydrotherapy on these days at this time and writing it down and holding myself accountable for achieving those little goals. I'm going to do my foot exercises 10 times today. Um, so I think setting little, little daily goals can be really helpful, you know, that are appropriate to you and where you're at. And the other thing that really helped me with my mental journey was thinking, I want to be a positive influence for my children you know I'm in this difficult position they are going to have difficulties in their life they may not be this difficulty they may be divorced they may be losing a job there, there may be illnesses there may be other difficulties but they are going to no matter how much we want to protect them they're going to have difficulties and challenges in life mm -hmm. so actually if I can show them how I can overcome this to my best ability and try to make the best of my situation and work hard at trying to improve my situation and trying to stay positive more than negative. And there are days when we all get negative and low, and that's normal, you know, none of us is perfect. But if on balance, I can be a positive inspiration to my children, then I'm hoping that, that observing that will help them in the difficulties that they have in life to try and overcome them. They can think, well, look, you know, Christ, look at mum, you know, she ended up with five spinal surgeries and, and all that rehab she had to do over and over again. And then she went and run the London marathon. I mean, you know, wow, if she can do that, you know, I can get through this, whatever yeah. I'm going through, I can get through it. Um, yeah. So I think that, that helped, that helps. And that does help me when I'm out there running and, yeah. and really, not necessarily enjoying it, but feeling it's it's something I need to do. So um yeah. yeah. So I think I think we can be an inspiration to people around us too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I truly believe that. And which is why I, you know, I um I like sharing, you know, and, and hearing stories, you know, from from other people because I think it's so important for us to be able to especially as we're going through difficult times in general, globally, you know, there's so much going on right now. And one of the things 
for me, which, you know, I, I find important is, is community, you know, is for us to always remember that we're there for each other, you know, and that we, we are going to go through difficult times, you know, and that we're, we're going to struggle, but there is that solution. And, and often that could be, you know, a hug from a child, a hug from a parent, you know, a hug from a friend, a text, a phone call, something, just reaching out, asking for help and just remembering that you're not on your own. Because I think, you know, we, when we go into that, into that negative mindset and experiencing feelings and emotions, it's very easy over time and very quickly too, to, to forget who's around us, you know, and to remember that we're not on our own, you know, and to remember that there is support out there and there is people who, who do care about us, um, you know, so always, always remember, always connect with with that, which I think is is important. Um, just one of the things I wanted to to ask you, um, because you mentioned about family, you mentioned about your children. Um, how difficult was it, you know, for for you, you know, when you came out of 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 you know your operation, you know, how how did it affect you know family partners? Because that's something that. You know, my wife and I have, have been going through, you know, that's been tough sometimes on, on us. You know, we both work full time. We both have our own businesses. And, and um, you know, there's been times all of a sudden that, you know, I've, I couldn't work, you know, and I haven't been able to work for months, you know. And we've been, you know, we're, we're very fortunate in a position that, that we're in. But we we generally tend to be very 50-50 in what we do, you know, at home with the children, you know, with work, with everything, you know, we always tend to communicate very well, you know, and and we have our, you know, our duties, you know, things that, that we do. Yeah, um, blue jobs and pink jobs. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> but all of a sudden, you know, it's kind of just become, you know, all of a sudden, you know, for, for a period, a lot of the jobs have been down to her, especially when I was in hospital, you know, and when I came out, there was still a lot of difficulties for me, you know, moving around and getting about. Um, how was that for you? And, you know, what kind of advice would you give, um, you know, potentially couples? Because I've heard and I've seen sometimes in groups where partners have left, you know, um, you know, individuals because of what they're going through. And that's, that's, that's heartbreaking, you know, when when people are having to to go through through you know these experiences. What would you? What's been your experience, and what's your advice? Um, well, I was actually on my own um, when I had my injury. My children are um, grown up, mm. um, and um, so I came home to being by myself, which was incredibly difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and so lots of things didn't get done <laughs> um, to start with. Um, I'd been uh, divorced for two years and I'd got a grown-up family. I mean, obviously, when I had my injury initially, everybody was extremely worried and very shocked and, um, you know, very concerned that all of a sudden there's their mum is going to be disabled because, you know, initially I was in a wheelchair. So, um and I'm sure there was part of them that was thinking, oh, Christ, what happens if this is permanent? Am I going to have to be a carer for my mum? Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't voice that directly because they're not quite that insensitive. But mm-hmm. I'm certain that that was going through their mind and 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 potentially, you know, my injury could have had a very negative effect on 
you know, their future and their their feeling of responsibility for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I did actually meet my husband um, later on, probably about five months later after mm-hmm. my injury. Mm-hmm. Um, at that stage, I was walking with a um, with a stick, mm-hmm. um, so it wasn't quite so bad. Mm-hmm. I'd managed to get to that, um, and you know, initially. I didn't kind of say an awful lot about the realities of my situation. I certainly wasn't mm-hmm. going to start telling or doing intermittent self-catheterization in front of him or <laughs> explaining mm-hmm. about some of my um, my bowel difficulties. And even today, when I let wind, mm-hmm. he, he'll forget and say, really, could you have gone outside to do that? And I have to remind him and say, I'm really sorry, but I have no warning. I mm-hmm. have absolutely, I'm, you know, clearly mm-hmm. I wouldn't, wouldn't deliberately just trump in front of you yeah um, but I have no warning so there are still oh. some things he's getting used to <laughs> um so dating dating with some of the difficulties we have um you know I I do have some sexual feeling um probably not as much as I used to you know I consider myself very lucky being a female that you know I don't have to worry about erectile dysfunction Mm -hmm. um and that even though um sex may not be for me what it once was Mm -hmm. um from my partner's point of view it doesn't affect his pleasure or enjoyment necessarily Mm -hmm. um so that has been something to get used to but Mm -hmm. I think in the scheme of things you know, I'm probably um, a little a little luckier than most, and certainly, you know, luckier than a man would be in mm. my situation because I can I still have the ability to pleasure my partner. I'm sure men have the ability to pleasure their partners too, but mm-hmm. for themselves, mm. um, it it's different. And yeah. I, I'm guessing, but mm-hmm. you would know potentially better than me. Yeah, and for me, you know, this is something which, again, being very new, um, you know, uh, getting an erection is 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 actually been okay. Um, Good. And it's recently that we've, you know, we've managed to to sort of connect and you know and and have a, a sexual experience. And I said to my wife, "Wow, this is very different because you know um, the sensation. Some of it just wasn't there." As, yeah. as it was you know and we've always been very connected and you know and very sexual so this is something that um i'm having to kind of get used to she's having to to get used to as well but you know we, we we're not one of these people that just give up we were just like no. okay and i turn around and to her i certainly don't want to give up because it works you yeah know, it works. Me, it's just a sensation and, and and you can get improvement in that feeling too i i can honestly say hmm. that 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 side of things has very much improved over the years. I didn't lose it completely. Um, maybe not quite what it was, but certainly extremely pleasurable still. And um, I may not be quite as mobile in the bedroom as I used to be, um, <laughs> but it certainly hasn't prevented me from going, from a sexual point of view, it hasn't prevented me from going on, meeting a new partner, and having a very healthy sex life. Mm. Um, bladder and bowel things were not something that I brought into the relationship early on. It took a long time for me to feel comfortable and secure in the relationship to be able to share what they were. And even now I probably wouldn't 
catheterized in front of him. Mm-hmm. I it's something I still I only have to do it twice a day, so it's easy mm-hmm. for me to make that a more private thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, he was very good the other day when I came back from a run and said, you know, because we've got family here. I said, can you make sure there's some knickers in the downstairs loo for me? <laughs> yeah. You know, so he knew exactly what what was going on there and was very mm. good and you know everything just went straight in the washing machine or the bin so yeah. um you know I, I i don't overshare those things but yeah. he is aware and and very very supportive so mm. managed yeah. to navigate around those not yeah. so great parts of cordial equina <laughs> yeah yeah and i think this is what's important isn't it is is having those you know the just having the ability to know that, you know, that your partner is there, you know, and can be there, you know, when you need to. And I think having conversations if and when needed as well, you know, I think it's important. This is one of the things I've learned, you know, with with both of us. Our communication has had to go to another level, um, you know, to yeah. to really make sure that that things are crystal clear. You know, we're very clear on things, even yesterday. You know, we sat down and we went through our goals, you know, for 2024. What do we want to do? What do we want to achieve? And, you know, because we 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 want to have, a, um, you know, a lifestyle that we we want to live in, you know, and, and we're certainly, I'm certainly not going to let this affect it, you know, not for me, not for my children. And, you know, certainly I I want to try to to help myself as much as i possibly can and and in turn hopefully by doing this you know we can pay it forward somehow um any final thoughts um advice you know any any yeah just kind of any final thoughts from from you lydia um no i think we've covered most things um you know i i don't think there's much left to say other than please try and get hydrotherapy as soon as you can um, I think it's really important if you have bladder and bowel problems, please try and get access to a specialist physio in that area and do talk about these things. And it's OK to even if you're not in a wheelchair, it's OK to still grieve the life you don't have. Mm. You know, yes, I'm fortunate that I've made a recovery, but that doesn't mean it's been easy and that doesn't mean there haven't been losses and things along the way um and it's okay even if you're not in a wheelchair it's okay to feel bad about the things that you've lost even though obviously there are people worse off than us um i think it's important to talk talk and get the help that you need um for that and the support and just try and be strong and tough and work really hard especially in those first two years and don't give up hope because there is lots of room for improvement. Yeah, that's it. And, you know, I think it's 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 important, I think, to um, you know, just be just be kind to yourself, you know. Yeah. Take time in, in what you're doing. And you know, there is um there is always a way, even through the difficult times, you know, and, and stay connected. So yeah, listen, guys, as always, thank you so much for for listening. Lydia, thank you so much for, for coming Pleasure. on. Best of luck with, with the marathon. <laughs> thank you. I'm <laughs> going to need it. I'll let you know you. how I get on. <laughs> yeah, let's do let's do a second episode because I would love to to really get 
get you to uh, to talk about that because what an achievement and I'm honestly well I've got I think do you know honestly I think the hardest thing is getting to the start line you know the next three months are going to be really tough it's tough for anybody yeah you know I'll be 57 when I run it um got you know all sorts of you know joint and hip and foot problems and things to overcome so if I get to the start line I'm pretty confident I'll finish yeah. one way or another yeah but um yeah I just hope I get there Oh, you will. You will. I'm going to send you loads of prayer and love and <laughs> healing, you. whatever you need <laughs> to make sure that you do. Maybe, I, maybe we'll so have to run it. Maybe we'll have to run it together one one year to raise money for quadriquina and spinal yes. injuries. Yeah, 100 percent. I'm with you. You actually inspired me. I said to my wife, I can't wait to talk to you because, you know, what what you've achieved in, in doing this, you know, you get to that start line and you finish, you know, I'll be I'll be next to you in the, on the next Thank one. You. you know, I promise yes, that 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 will be a determined. That's one of the things I've never done. And, you know, I'll I'll do everything that I can, even if I have to hop my way <laughs> to it. I will. I'll, I give, will you, I'll give you the next two to three years to get there. Let's do it. And you Let's will. Let's do it. I will. Listen, guys, have an amazing one. Thank you so much. Pleasure. And we'll see Take you soon. Care. Take care. Thanks for listening. And if you want to find out more about how you can overcome issues caused by mental health, go to alexdasilva.co.uk. That's www.alexdasilva.co.uk. See you on the next one. Be great, be fantastic, and be absolutely phenomenal. Take care.